Hello everyone, this is um, Claudia Morgan, the host of the um, Spiritually uh, Inspired Show. And uh, my guest um, today is uh, Dr. Jason Loken. With uh, over 20 years in uh, natural health care and 15 years plus of uh, post-secondary education, Dr. Jason Loken is committed to help people reach their optimal health goals. He's an naturopathic doctor, an osteopathic manual practitioner, a former registered massage therapist, and is currently completing his PhD in integrative medicine. Dr. Loken is former professor of the orthopedics and physical medicine program of the Canadian College of Naturopathy. He lectures internationally and has appeared on both television and radio discussing topics such as mental health, disease prevention, and the fine balance in managing one's weight, hormone, and uh, stress. In order to best assist his patients, Dr. Loken has completed additional training in the following. Walsh Mental Health Nutrient Therapy, Neurokinetic Therapy, Neuroemotional Therapy, Quantum Touch, Yoga, Psychology, and Therapeutics. He's the author of two books, Letters That Move the World, Intentional Acts of Gratitude, and Understanding to Knowing, Unlocking Your Path to Optimal Health. Jason, thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I would like to start uh, on how, from your medical path, you switched to a more spiritual uh, approach and expanded in, into that field. What exactly triggered you for, towards the you know, in, enhanced consciousness and, and high vibration? Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of a long story, but um, it wasn't probably just one thing. I think it's, um, it's sort of an accumulation, and it keeps accumulating it keeps changing and keeps growing the more that i keep learning and interacting with different people different patients do different courses but i um i started out as a originally i was in school to go into either medicine or physiotherapy those were kind of the areas that i was planning on going into and then for me i ended up injuring my back when i was at university of victoria and so I went and saw a physiotherapist and I got some work done and it just seemed to me like that wasn't the fit. I couldn't picture myself doing that for the rest of my life. So I ended up seeing another friend of mine that it actually was in his second year at the school for massage therapy and he worked on my back and I was astounded at how much benefit I got from it. So I was like, well, I, I need to learn that. So I left after my second year and I went and did massage therapy. And while I was at school for massage therapy, there was a lot of things that I encountered around that time that really opened my doors to a lot of different things. I dealt with chronic allergies and asthma and I remember seeing an allergist when I was a little kid and he said I was the worst kid he'd seen about 20 years of practice. Like everything he touched me with swelled up on my body. So I ended up seeing a naturopathic doctor when I was out there and that turned my life around. My allergies cleared up, my health dramatically improved and so I kind of knew that was the path that I wanted to go on as far as when I was thinking about healthcare. The other thing that was really interesting that happened when I was there was that was actually, and that was, uh, I'm 48 now, that was back when I was in my early 20s. And I saw a, um, I saw this psychic for the first time that I had heard very good reviews about and uh, took about a year to get in to even see him. And, and I was, you know, I was open to it, but never had that experience before. But it was a really life-changing experience because when I saw him, what happened was within the first few minutes, he just kind of looked at me and he sort of went, he goes, this is, this is all wrong. He goes, you're, you're kind of going down this path this way. And he goes, you're, you're meant to be moving in this direction. And, and he just sort of broke down. Like, I, I mean, I, was, I had a lot of insecurities at that point and I had a lot of jealousy and a lot of, lot of things that I was sort of caught up in. And he just sort of, it felt like, you know, I was just this open book that kind of got read and, and exposed, but in a really caring way. But he knew stuff about me that, you know, I barely even knew about me. And it was the, I think just the honesty that it came up was really quite transformational. He said, because you're supposed to be doing meditation and movement. And he goes, you've got this, this sort of destiny that you're supposed to be on for healing. You've got work to do. And, um, and that 
that just resonated so profoundly true to me when when he said that 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 was probably one of the biggest shifts that got me starting to redirect a little bit and then and then that's still a lifetime of, of constantly working with all these different things um and, and keep keep growing and whatnot but that was such a profound experience for me because it just you know it was just it's when someone shares something with you about yourself that really nobody else should know you can't help but have to listen to it Yes, and I think that's part of us not being awakened or conscious of what's going on with us. We don't take that time to, you know, to reflect and look in the mirror and ask ourselves, who am I and what's my purpose? And these, you know, guys, these uh, psychics are there to, to help us. Um, and of course, some are real, some are not. But when we get into, in front of one of these real people, it, it's worth, um, you know, exploring that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was whether, um, I, I think if you haven't had any experiences like that, or you're not brought up with that as being, you know, this introspective part of living, if that's not a part of your childhood or anything, like you just don't have a, a set point for it. It's not, it doesn't really register. It's not somewhere there that you even would think about going. So it wasn't until it was kind of brought to my attention that rather than just getting caught up in my own justifications as to why I was feeling and doing things in a certain way, it really halted me and made me kind of take a a look. And that really was probably the main shifting point, I think, in my life that then that opened up the door to a lot of it. So I came back, I knew I wanted to be a naturopathic doctor. I finished up my university, I went to naturopathic medicine. I also got exposed to osteopathy, which I then did after. But there was um, a couple of really profound things that happened while I was at naturopathic medicine. So naturopathic medicine itself, I really fell in love with the philosophy because the philosophy is very much of this holistic look of the body and and an honoring of the innate wisdom inside the body and its ability to heal. And that all very much resonated with me. And so we also realized in naturopathic medicine, you also are looking at more than just a physical layer of health. So you start to look at, and and what I've learned in in more detail since then, but when you look at health, there's there's several bodies to health. So there's a physical body that everybody is very aware of. That's usually what brings people in to see a practitioner to get work done, whether they've got chronic pain or whether they've got a heart disease or asthma or whatever it might be. Those are all the physical things. But then there's these subtle energies that rise above that. And so there's a vital body, which is this energetic body, and that's the world of feelings and emotions. And that's also where we use therapies like acupuncture or when we talk about vital energy or um, chakras, that's, that's all that sort of world. And then above that, there's this mental body. And that's like how we attach meaning to different things. And it makes us have to then investigate things like belief systems and belief patterns and so much illness starts actually in those layers and then that filters down into the physical and then you get above that into the most abstract and uh, areas which would be more like this this body we call this intuitive body or this wisdom body and then this bliss body which is sort of like this direct connection to source and so when we start to think about health as much more than just the pure physical body, that's going to take you on a journey if you really want to investigate it. And what I would find with patients would be that so much of the time, you, the real healing takes place when they're starting to really dive into um, the work around emotions and mental thinking and meaning and belief patterns. And that a lot of that is where the innate healing really stems from. I completely agree with you. So I, I know that people heal their physical body and then they, they think they are done. They think they are, they are healed without understanding that they have to go deeper, as you mentioned, to heal you know, emotions and trauma. Um, why do you think that they are not willing to pursue this path and, and be open to concepts which maybe they weren't um, you know, exposed to in the past? As far as why would patients not necessarily be so open to it? Correct, yeah. Well, 
it, I think it also is, depends on where you are culturally too. You know, I mean, it. I think it is more open in different places. You know, I, like for example, I remember my wife and I took a trip prior to having kids. We went to Bali for a month, and I would say this concept of interconnection and spirituality and everything is is very much inherent within the culture, and so. Um, and thankfulness and an idea of how we're feeling being related so so it is there but i would say in the west it's it's um it's not so much and and my feeling around it is that i think for the most part in the west we are so head heavy and intellect driven that i think that we often discount our emotions we negate our emotions or we feel gut reactions to things but we rationalize our way to do something different and not necessarily listen to them so in many ways i think over time we have become quite disconnected from the innate body wisdom that is there with all of us all the time and so to even start a conversation sometimes about emotions it's um a lot of times people don't even can't even explain what they're even feeling initially. Sometimes people, you try to explain what's actually going on and what are they really feeling. And, and sometimes people know they feel overwhelmed. But the, to be able to narrow down all the different stages between being okay to being overwhelmed, it all gets scattered. So I think a lot of times people just haven't practiced it. They're, they're not used to it. And that's not the conventional system that we live in. You know, for the most part, the conventional system is there's a physical body, there's a physical reason for your problem, and then there's a physical therapy that you'll take. You'll either take a medication or a procedure to try and deal with it. And that um, we don't necessarily, that's not a common dialogue to talk about all these different layers that, that make up the totality of who we are, right? Yes, and I know as a uh, medical practitioner, you have your limitations in, in what you can say and what you can you know think out loud uh, but don't you think that the um, board of you know doctors and uh, the college of doctors should um, encourage people to look at alternative medicine which takes care of the um, spiritual side of the emotional side rather than fix everything with with a pill which is not possible well, and I think too, it's in, in conventional medicine, they, it's also more broken down into different areas. So how, how conventional medicine is really, you've got specialists. And so if someone thinks that then it is coming from the mental emotional world, or they would say maybe psychosomatic, then you're referred to go talk to a psychiatrist or maybe a psychotherapist or something. And that can all be beneficial too. But the it's almost like there was a, a bit of a scientific determinism that, that ended up happening. So it's like everything gets broken down into almost pieces as opposed to the, the whole. So in, primarily in conventional medicine, they, they work on specific pieces and you referred to different experts to work on that piece. And there can be benefits in that, but within that, I think the aspect of looking at the person from as a whole person and how all these things interrelate, that's usually where I think the benefit for, for like naturopathic medicine or some of the different um, therapies like Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine that basically look at the person as a whole. And we know that in some ways. So for example, we know, for example, that the gut health has a dramatic impact on how we think and feel. So this is this called this gut-brain axis. So, you know, ultimately, you can't separate those things. So, you know, you might go and see a gastroenterologist for a certain problem, but or you might be sent to go see a psychiatrist, but they would never think to go and get the gut worked on and that that might be part of what's related to the way that you're feeling on a regular basis, for example. Yeah, the wholeness of um, looking at the, the person, it, it's lacking, it's, it's not there, and somehow later on has to be, to be addressed. Uh, you, you mentioned um, Thea, which is your wife, and uh, your trip to, to Bali, and I think you also have a retreat in, in Bali. Um, can you delve more into that experience, and you know, again, from a spiritual side, and if you tried any... Mm -hmm local plant ceremonies while there of course if you can mention that 
we went to Bali after my wife and I had, we had gone through two miscarriages. And it was at that point where we just needed to take a break. I knew my wife needed to have a complete break and a reset. And um, we just basically sat there and went, okay, where are we going to go? I know the body needs almost three weeks for it to really go into a different set, like to really get out of fight or flight and to get back into rest and digest. It needs a little bit of time. So we just sat and said, let's just, we'll figure out how to make it work, but let's leave for a month. Let's not take any, leave the cell phones, leave the everything. Let's just take our backpacks and head off. And so we decided out of a few different places that Bali was where we really wanted to go. And so we packed our backpacks and we headed off. We didn't have any agenda. We just kind of went day to day. We would book Airbnbs wherever we could kind of get them and trekked around the whole island for the most part. And while we were there, I would say a lot of what we did was really just quieted down. We just really slowed down, you know. And it's not that necessarily my wife and I live a fast-paced life, but it's, it's still, you can always slow it down more right and um we just took in some we just took in the culture a lot we went to a lot of different places we would slow down we do meditations we would um i mean almost anything you do in bali feels like like as you walk through the streets in different places it's like it's the the spirituality is so interconnected with everything you know there's always little ceremonies going on that you can be a part of there's plays there's different things like that and we also got a lot of body work. I mean, we got a lot of massage. I mean, massage was so inexpensive. So we would often get like two hours coming back from the beach and we'd stop and get two hours of body work done. And just, you know, it was a really deep relaxation that I felt like we got. And, um, and we conceived probably about the third week while we were in Bali. And that's our, that's our little daughter, Sophie. So she's four now. Wonderful. <laughs> But no, I didn't take into any plant ceremonies necessarily, but um, more just a, a deeper dive into the spirituality. And it was, it was funny, you know, one of, our, one of the drivers we had one day that would take us around to different places. And um, there's always prayer before you eat, right? So you're always sort of saying thank you. And he kind of chuckled and he goes, prayer seems really different here than it does out West. He goes, it seems like out West you pray when you want something. And here we just pray to say thanks for what we have. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think, you know, a lot of times when we do pray, it's usually because we are worried or we're scared or we want something or we want something to change. And, um, and it was interesting. I was thinking that there's a lot of wisdom in that because when you think about it, even my, my PhD in integrated medicine is with a quantum physics perspective on medicine. And when you think about it from a bit more of a quantum physics, it's like the essence of what happens is it depends on what you're actually feeling, right? So a lot of times when we even do prayer, and if we are in a bit more of a worried or a fearful state when we're praying, then that's the vibration that we're still putting out that we are resonating with, that we likely then will be kind of creating more of. So from their perspective, whatever's going on, you're always finding and you're saying thanks for what you do have. So in that regard, then you're starting from that place of gratitude. And from there, that's what's kind of rippling out, which ultimately will keep trying to bring more of that back into your, your field. Yes, I mean, uh, Bruce Limpton, Greg Braden, and even uh, Joe Dispenza, they all talk about, you know, feeling the um, the vibration and the, the visualization of what you want to, to achieve and mainly is about mm -hmm. health. And, and going back to what you said about uh, your trip to uh, Bali and uh, Thea conceiving is, again, our bodies have the property of healing themselves if we slow down, if we put that intention out and also goes through love, gratitude, all these feelings which, you know, enhance us as, as human beings. Uh, mm -hmm. Going back to uh, you know your uh, your website, I see that um, you have uh, global shifts. What is global shifts, please? Global shifts is a platform that myself and a good friend of mine started to create. Gosh, probably about a decade ago. It was it developed after 
we were working on the book, Letters That Move the World, Intentional Acts of Gratitude. The Writing the book kind of opened up the door for a lot of ways of thinking. And um, we kind of sat and it was really around what, what do we feel like we want to, to bring that would be supportive for the world? Where do we want to work with? And so my area is more around health. And my, my friend, she's a musician. They actually do, done like, their music's been listened by millions. I mean, they, they, do, they used to do a lot of the work for places like um, World Vision and Operation Smile and stuff like that. And, um, and had a big music therapy and, and did a lot of stuff with music. And so, but the other area that she's very passionate about is education. And so it basically became a platform and it's still just building and it's been constantly kind of being revised and rebuilt and doing it in different areas. But for the most part, it's going to be the platform where a whole, a whole program for school systems called Super Me, which is more of like an empowerment program or an empowering program for kids in school and brings them back to, um, brings them back to a lot of the fundamental things that are not necessarily taught in school anymore right? Brings them back to virtues and different things like that and how to connect to it and how to, how to live a life where your life matters and they really own that and they get what that means and the importance of it. And then there's the whole perspective around health and looking at that and how we're going to be building that out more is going to be, I think, really around more around the concept of building resilience because I feel like that's something that we all need more in this changing world is more resilience. So Global Shifts is sort of this idea where we collaborate with many different people from experts in different areas to try to bring certain solutions that we think are needed. It's interesting because, you know, my children and other children, they learn uh, religion in um, elementary school, high school. But to be honest with you, I couldn't find one student which will tell me that he believes in God. So I, I met with some of them, you know, my children's colleagues, and they don't believe in God. They don't uh, have any compass related to, to, to spirituality. And I'm a strong believer that uh, the kids should have a connectivity or connection to the divinity, to God, to understand a concept, even if it's not tangible for them to, to know to hang on. But no religion it will lead them on the path of spirituality. So why do you think that the school hasn't been able to, to connect them to, to that concept? And still, they, they learn it, but they don't get anything out of it, pretty much. I think it's a tricky position for schools to open up the door to spirituality because it's so multicultural. I think what happens is they run into troubles if they use any specific term it will be offensive to one group or another so i i think that's where their hands get tied as far as bringing it into school but where i ultimately think connection to divinity or to source or however people want to connect even even nature or consciousness or however whatever whatever words work for people i think ultimately for kids that starts with the parents so i think if if they want to be able to have kids connect to that then it's it's going to be through their family ultimately i think that's where everything gets at least in the first seven years that's where pretty much everything is just downloaded without a whole lot of thought around it it's um it's really just sort of ingrained as as patterns but after that as they get a little bit older then i think then you can explore it more you know like for 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 my life i mean i was brought up in in the united church so sort of a protestant upbringing united church is a very um loose aspect of of the church i mean it was i actually my experience with it was really great i feel like we would we would go to class or Sunday school and we would just have these, these fun lessons and activities trying to bring home certain messages and whatnot. Nothing was really too heavy or intense. I never felt any real guilt around things or anything like that that sometimes can come with, with certain organized religions at times. Um, and, but it wasn't until I was really probably, you know, later on in my life, after I'd had that experience in massage therapy and then really 
sort of mid naturopathic school and on, I think was when I really started to question it for myself. Prior to that, I almost think that as kids, if it's, um, a lot of times I don't think we are, as children, I don't think we are given the, the openness to explore stuff like that ourselves. I think for the most part, it's sort of brought to us as far as what maybe even the families do, right? I mean, if, if you're brought up in a certain, if your family's Catholic, then you're brought up Catholic. Or if you're Jewish, you're brought up Jewish. And, and that's all fine, but it's, it's, um, you're, it's just sort of part of what's there. You're not really asking yourself those questions at that point in time on whether that, what that means to you, or is there more, or is there, you know, how does that resonate? Yeah. That stuff sometimes happens later on, I think, if you, if you start to question things yourself. I mean, based on my experience, religion divides and spirituality brings us together because it's much more um, knowledge and much more common ground into spirituality, in my opinion, at least. Um, and I don't have, I can accept any um, person from any religion if they come into the or under the umbrella of spirituality because the common ground is or the common goal is the same you know to evolve spiritually as human beings and enrich god or the divinity and get enlightened so again doesn't matter if it's a jewish person or a catholic or christian orthodox um, that spiritual path should be a, a common path and bring us uh, together Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely know there's there's some controversy around religion versus spirituality and and whatnot. I, I remember hearing it one time. It was mentioned. It was like for people that um, follow a certain religion, it's sort of like they found what worked for them. For people that are spirit looking for spirituality, they're they're constantly sort of seeking for for something else. There's they're looking for more around it. And for some people, religion, I think, can be really, really valuable for them. You know, it's some, for some people, it's like, even if that process is they, they go to church once a week and that provides a certain sort of guideline for them that helps them live their life in a way that's more meaningful, then that's, that's fabulous. I think generally in my mind, whether it's religion or spirituality, ultimately what you're always looking at is, is, is something expanding your life or is it? constricting your life and so i would look at that on anything and so if i was in a specific spiritual group or if i was in a specific religious group if i found that it started to feel like it was keeping me more restricted rather than this feeling of openness and connection and expansion then that would not resonate with me so i would kind of look at that as being a way of then deciding myself what feels best for me at a certain point in time. Correct. Uh, let's switch to, um, to your books. Um, letters that move the world first. Um, they talk about, you know, gratitude, intention, awareness. Uh, and in one of the chapters, uh, the science behind gratitude, what, how do you apply gratitude in your life? And what was the, you know, the main um, drive to, to write a book? Well, I had an experience when I was in my second year of naturopathic school, and I remember sitting there and just randomly reflecting on just how did I end up where I was at that point in time? Just one of those experiences where you're sitting, and for no other reason, it just, just started to reflect on a lot of things. And, and then it started to get me thinking about just all of the different people that really impacted my life and, and helped to shape who I felt like I was. And I just started going through the list in my head of all of these different people that really influenced, um, influenced my life in so many ways. And there was two people that really jumped out at me. And it doesn't mean the other people weren't important and played a big role, but my, my grandma popped out at me because she was such a just such an unconditional loving energy that I was so blessed to have in my life. Like that's all I've ever knew of her, you know, where sometimes it's hard for parents because you're parenting, you're, there's this and that, but grandparents can have a very unique role that way. They're, they're separated enough from the disciplinary part of it that they can just love you for who you are. They're usually at a stage in their life where they're not going through the same stressors of life in the same way. So it's a really, it can, it can has the potential to be, a, a really, really 
beautiful relationship. And, and I was so fortunate to have that with my, with my grandmother. And so, so many things that just her presence and who she was really resonated with me and, and helped to shape who I was. And the other person was my karate instructor, my sensei. I started martial arts when I was little and did it for a long time, competed at a high level for a long time, uh, trained in Japan for a long time. And he was a very big influential part. Karate was a big part of my life for a long time. And, and it wasn't just my karate instructor and sort of how much I valued the teachings that I learned from it, but it was the community that I got connected with through him as being the hub that held the community together. And it was through the people in that community that made such turn. They, I, I couldn't even picture where my life would be without all of those people because they all influenced me in so many specific ways, even around what I was doing for career and everything. And so as I was thinking about it, I got welled up at just the thought of how much appreciation I had for them and to the point that I, I, I needed to sit down and write it out to them. So I wrote a letter to my grandma and I wrote a letter to my karate instructor and I mailed it out. And it was just a very transformative experience. And it was a very spiritual experience for me because I, I remember feeling um, just this sense of lightness, this sense of interconnection, this, um, and when you, when you do have experiences like that, it's, um, they just stay with you and, they, and you, you, you change from it. You, you never really go back because you've had a, a different gateway that's kind of open so you experience life differently but the really fascinating part with it was that i remember talking to my grandma i was in the middle of writing the letters that move the world intentional acts of gratitude and so i was my i was back home visiting my grandma and my grandfather had recently passed away and my my grandma was now living in a community home and i went and stayed with her for a couple of nights there and i took the book and i read her the the intro of how she was one of my heroes right and i talked about the letter and she just smiled at me and then she walked over to her dresser pulled the dresser drawer open and took out my letter that i gave her 10 years ago and she said she keeps that letter and she reads it every night before she goes to bed and Beautiful. that was so impactful for me because it if part of the what happened was it was this concept of when I was talking with my friend Corey, who I wrote the book with, we shared this experience. So we had had a conversation around, I was talking to her about my experience in school and she had a very similar experience with her mom that she wrote a letter to an appreciation. And we were talking at the time about how it made us feel, like how it transformed the way we felt. And we just started thinking, man, like everybody should really connect into that feeling and write letters to people and the, could you imagine how much people would feel if they all started doing that and then we literally stopped and looked into each other and we went could you imagine what would happen if everybody did that at the same time like what kind of a shift in consciousness could actually happen and so that then became the the mission and then we like we need to write a book on how to do that and so that's where it all started but what was really fascinating was that while we were in the middle of writing the book and I went to visit my grandma, that my grandma had that letter. And, and it made me think like, holy smokes, like the simple act of connecting to your heart and writing a letter of thanks to someone that meant something to you and to let them know what kind of an impact that can have on that person's life. I mean, that, my grandma read that letter every night before she went to bed, and she had a couple of other cards and letters from other members of the family, whether it was like a thank you letter or something like that, and that was a part of her routine. She would read them before she went to bed. So it wasn't, it just made me think how the simple act of sharing your heart can go and have this ripple effect that goes on and on and on for so much longer than you can sometimes imagine. Yeah, there are small gestures, as, as you said, it won't impact only the person who will receive the gesture, but it will impact us as well. And we'll become much, much better and we'll understand, you know, the, the concept of, of gratitude. Um, how do you use the, the concept of gratitude in your, in your daily life? For the most part, it's, I feel like it takes a little bit of practice first because I don't think coming to gratitude is our default pattern 
I think most times our default pattern is to more look for what's going wrong. Uh, it's almost like we're almost hardwired a little bit, um, even from an evolutionary standpoint, the way that our brain works is we're geared more for protection and survival. And so we naturally look towards almost what's wrong rather than what's right. But it is it takes a bit of practice. And I think once we start to make it a bit more of a priority and we slow down, and that could be as simple as plan that when you sit down to have your meal, you take a moment, whether it's a pause, to just be thankful for what you have, which is not rocket science. Like that is, it's like that really was what a lot of times families did growing up. I mean, grace before food was not, not a, and that was a standard thing a lot of families did. I, I find not so much now. I think people are just busier. It's hard enough to even get the family to sit down together, you know, but it's just making an intention that you want to start to look for it. And what I found was that it, it really changes everything in your world when you do. And, and it doesn't have to be just gratitude. It can, I mean, we do an exercise where we have people in, a, um, in like an auditorium that has rolls of paper lined out throughout the whole auditorium. And everybody stands somewhere in the auditorium. And then they have markers and they make a big circle around them and they decide what do they want the start of their ripple to be. So we chose gratitude because that was what we connected with. And gratitude is also a really powerful field that can create a lot of shift in the world. And well, it shifts in their life, which then shifts the world around them. So gratitude is a really powerful one, but it could be with kindness. It could be with love. It could be with cooperation. It could be with whatever you want the center of your ripple to be. But the idea was they'd start with that. And then the next layer out would be, so how do they embody that? What does that mean? How do they live their life if you are making, say, kindness the part of your ripple? How do you become kindness? What does that mean? So you make it sort of actionable. What does that look like? How do you, what does your world look like when you're doing that? And then you ripple it out to what kind of effects is that going to have on the people around you? And then you start to kind of jot down what that looks like around you. And then you start to go globally, what kind of effects potentially can a movement like that have in the world around you? And then you start writing those things down. And what people are seeing is because when we talk about the ripple effect, the ripple effect, um, we use the, the acronym MORE. So we say it basically brings more into your life and MORE stands for my own ripple effect. And so what you start with, you ultimately bring back into you. And this is the same as like when we were talking about with Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden. It's like, it, it's, it's very much a frequency. So it's like, these different feelings or these different virtues have a frequency attached to them. And when you align with it, and the only way you know you align with it is when you feel it. And that's why feelings are so important. It's explained one time that the feeling in the electromagnetic field, the feeling is the magnetic part of the field and the way you're thinking is the electric part of the field. And together, how you think and how you feel is what generates that electromagnetic field around you, which is what interacts in the world around you. Yeah, so you have to so, experience pretty much. <clears throat> so you connect with it. So the first part is to really connect to it. So that means we use our memories of, and now it's easy. I've got little kids, so it's, it's quite easy for me to connect to a feeling of love or to gratitude. I can picture my two-year-old doing something really cute, and uh, you know, I get that warm feeling in my heart very quickly, right? But what, what was really neat with this exercise is that as they keep building, the, and they're doing big ripples, right? It's like this, you know, there are all these people in the auditorium. And eventually what they find is when they get out to the last ripple, their ripple is now overlapping with other people's ripple. So what they're seeing is what they're sending out, they're actually now starting to see receiving back inside and coming back to them. And most of it is these same types of things that we're, we're ultimately wanting to create in our lives. So that's actually a big, we're actually in the process of putting together and really um, doing a bigger push because we haven't done, what the book was really a trigger for so many different things that we wanted to start to do and we hadn't really pushed too much the actual book itself and now with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, I feel like that is actually a very needed thing. I mean, we are as a global community, I don't think we have ever been as interconnected as we are right at the moment. 
Now it's an interconnected that started through a little bit of, of um, fear and worry and concern, but within that there's also love and appreciation and things and connection that happens too. But it shows us how quickly we are all interconnected. And if we can now use the concept of appreciation and gratitude and build on that, I think that it is a really timely space at the moment to be able to connect people through gratitude. Yes, and your project is similar to one I have in mind. It's called Letters to Water. So we can influence the quality of water all around uh, the world by writing you know, love letters or what type of letters we, we want. Um, but again, mm -hmm. it's a very uh, time-consuming project. It will come uh, forward some, uh, someday. Uh, going to, um, let's talk about your second book, um, Understanding to Knowing. What, what you can, can you tell us about it? Understanding to knowing is definitely more on the, uh, the health side. So we look at a couple different pieces. So the concept of understanding to knowing is, it was really when I had kids, I used to quote unquote understand when my patients would talk to me about having kids and what that would be like, and even them trying to eat certain foods and all these different things. But it wasn't, I didn't really know it until I had kids myself. So the idea around this from a health perspective is this concept of sometimes we think we understand things to a certain point, but once we really integrate and we, and we bring some of these concepts and we start to do them and we really feel the shift that can happen inside of our bodies, now we know what our bodies are supposed to feel like. And so I break down different aspects of that. There's Concepts of tracking specific health determinants that allow people to reconnect with their body because in a lot of ways, I think most people are very disconnected from their body and it's not a hard process to reconnect. We just have to start the process of checking in, asking it, slowing things down a little bit, taking a little bit of time. And sometimes that can be as simple as done by questionnaires. You know, at the end of the day, what was your mood like? What was your energy like? How was your sleep for the night? What was the quality of it like? You know, you just go through certain things and just in some self-inquiry. And you start to see patterns, right? And people start to notice things. So part of it's looking at that. There's another whole section around specific testing that I think is really important to get done. I am a big proponent of the difference between normal and optimal. And I mean that in our lives on how we feel. And I also mean that on how we look to assess where we are. So from a health perspective, what most people feel is normal is not optimal. So many people think that having a certain degree of sluggishness or some creaky and achy bones or headaches or stomach digestive issues or this, or that's just all part of normal. Or you get over a certain age and that's just normal. And they really start to believe that. And the reality is, is most of the time, none of that's normal. And so the book helps people figure out the steps to get back there. When we look at something like blood testing, and that was one of the sections of that book that I give away as a free ebook called the Top 10 Lab Tests. So that basically looks at some of the top lab tests that I think are just routinely not done. Or if they are done, there's a reference range that is so large that healthy populations tend to live in certain zones where that are much different than where the entire reference range is. And a good example would be something like stored iron called ferritin. If you are 10, then you're still considered normal. Or if you're at 300, you're still considered normal. But a lot of people need to be maybe like around 100 to feel their best, for example or over a certain amount. And so a lot of times people still have a lot of symptoms and we call these functional imbalances. So they're not diagnosed with a pathology, but they have this myriad of functional imbalances where they know they don't feel right, something's off, but they get their blood test back or they get their physical exam and they say, great news, everything's normal, no problem. And you leave kind of feeling, well, what the hell's wrong then? Because I know something's still off, but it's like, but I apparently I got a clear bill of health. And I mean that, and that first really resonated with me when I saw my sister after she had had her first child. And it was a really challenging time. The baby wasn't sleeping very much at all. My sister was not sleeping at all. And she was just very stressed, super anxious. She was starting to feel depressed. And 
kind of gets summed up that it's like, you're a new mom, you're not sleeping. That's all just part of what can happen. And it's like, that stuff drives me crazy when it just stops there rather than taking a little bit of a deeper dive and just seeing, because often, even if you were just stressed and not sleeping, well, that has dramatic effects on physiology in your body it has dramatic effects on the utilization of different nutrients in your body there's a lot of things that can happen it plays with stress hormones so it's like you can mediate that stuff in a lot of different ways so i remember seeing her and and she said no i got my blood test and everything seemed fine i'm like well let me see them let me see what what was done and so she was a prime example of where her iron was at 11 or her ferritin was at 11 and a lot of sources would say you're not really iron, you're not really solid in your iron levels until you hit closer to about 70. You know, we have these ranges of iron deficient, probably iron deficient, possibly iron deficient, not iron deficient. And so she was at, I think, 11, like literally right down the bottom. And her B12 was also like right down, right down to the bottom. And none of the other stuff was really checked. So we reran stuff. She had a bunch of functional things that were out of bounds. And once we just started to kind of get her levels back into optimal zones, so many things just started to disappear. Um, she was able to cope with her world a lot better. It was the stress started to go away. Um, and so just to kind of say, it's not always just situational. Situational can have a big impact, but there's always more that can be done. So the book was really it really, that part of the book really came to me where I'm like, I need to write about this because I see this all the time in clinic. When I routinely check certain things, most of these markers are outside of optimal zones. And when they get into optimal zones, I just find a lot of people's weird symptoms often just start to disappear once they get into these optimal zones. Without having to then treat every symptom individually, it's just, it's like the body now has what requires to manage you know it's important to remember that nutrients and minerals like vitamins and minerals they're, they're cofactors in the smooth running of so many different reactions that go on the body on a, on a second by second basis yeah and it's sad to see that these uh, ranges um, change every single year i mean i i was able to see it on my own um, blood tests so i can i can compare them i keep them and i compare them year by year and i can see that that um, it's going broadband. It's like from this, like that. And again, they put you in the category where you are fine, even if you, as you mentioned, you don't feel great. So I don't know how we're going to deal with, um, you know, this type of situation because it comes from the medical field. We have to kind of, you know, trust them and believe that what they tell us it's, is the, the real stuff and the good stuff. And uh, we'll have to sometimes take care of ourselves, go to, as I said before, alternative medicine or, you know, other doctors which will um, go deeper into what we really need. Well, and it's interesting too, because people have access to so much information now. So it's not in the days of like when, you know, my grandparents would go to the doctor or something and just sort of take everything as that was, that was it. You don't question it, right? People now are privy to a lot of information. I mean, Patients, if they have a certain condition or they often know more than the doctors do, I'll have some patients that come in that know more about their condition than I do because they've been researching it for years. And, and it might be something that's an odd situation, you know, an odd, odd uh, condition that I'm not used to seeing so much. Um, so a lot of times now patients are also demanding a little bit more from their caregivers. And both in what they want to get checked and also in i think in a in a relationship that they want to have with their caregiver there's a there's a certain dynamic that i think people are asking for more than what they used to and i think that's a really good thing because i think it's it's causing everybody to have to rise to create better care for people yeah interesting i mean i recommend uh, everyone to to buy the book and give it uh, a read Shifting gears now, what do you think is the, the state of the world's consciousness at this point? Do you think we'll be able as, as humanity to, to increase it and shift to the next level or are we going to stay where we are? Well, it's definitely interesting times, that's for sure. Um, 
I feel like what usually happens at really big, before you hit really big transition points, they usually come to almost a bit of like what seems like a crisis. And what I like to remember is an old saying where the, the Japanese word for crisis is kiki, and it's made up of two kanji characters. One of them means danger and one of them means opportunity. And so how I really do believe is that whatever life throws at us, we try to do the best we can with it. I mean, my grandma used to say, she say, Jason, she goes, no matter how much I would like to change what happened, sometimes you just have to do the best you can with what the good Lord gives you. <laughs> and, and it's just so true. It's like there's no sense in, in fighting the fact that sometimes we are where we are. But given that we are here, how do we, how do we use that as best as we can at this point in time. Like this is a really important time where they feel like if people are at home and they're not working, don't sit and drown yourself in Netflix and everything. I mean, it's, it's fine to do little bits of that here and there, but it's like, it's a big opportunity to stay awake. It's a big opportunity to refine what you want your world to look like. A lot of us are, a lot of people are waiting for until the world gets back to normal. And, and this is the time where I would be questioning what part of normal did you not like or was not working for you before? Or not just for you, but for the world. Like what parts do we need to maybe make transition around? And we've got this big pause at the moment where I do think that we need to be very reflective around things and, and stay awake and be open and, and look to see what... Because ultimately, any consciousness shift that's going to happen is going to happen from enough people creating personal shifts which will ripple out to create a global shift that's the only way that it works so the only way and what happens is when people are in a fearful state we don't operate from the part of the brain that allows us to move into higher levels of consciousness i think joe dispenza talks about it once he says you know we we actually go into the part of the brain that makes us more animalistic and less divine when we are in fear states. So, and you can feel it. You can feel it. You can see it in social media. You can see it in lots of places. There's, um, there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of worries. There's a lot of fear. And, and I get it. And there's lots of reasons for why that stuff is. I mean, if people are out of work and they don't know what's going to happen and they're self-employed or fearful of, getting a virus or whatever it might be. It's like there's lots of stuff out there that's pushing buttons for people. But I think regardless of the fact that it is, it's, well, that is happening. So we kind of accept the fact that we are in this position and now how do we do the best we can for ourselves and for our loved ones and for the world around us. And to me, that is using it as the contrast. So I, I find a lot of times one of the best exercises when I find stuff happens that I don't like or that doesn't make me feel good is it's just information. So it's like when something surfaces that I don't like or if I find myself caught in getting into a pattern of discomfort around it or frustration around it or whatever, that's fine. A lot of times those emotions are supposed to come up. You know, they, they need to come up. They're, there's some volition to some of those emotions. They're moving us towards something. But then it's to try to help me shift it so that I can, because whenever you're shown something you don't like, the flip side of it is to shine a brighter light on what you do want. And so my perspective is when that's going on, then what do I want to be focusing on? What do I feel is going to be of the greatest service for me at this point in time, right? And for others. And so then when stuff comes up that you don't like, you try to flip it in and focus more on what it is that you want to, rather than getting into this ruminating cycle of focusing on all the stuff that you're worried about and the fears around it, because it just doesn't help. Uh, I get how easy it is to go into it, but it just doesn't help. And you have to consciously move, make that choice to move away from it and refocus. And ultimately, that's the only way you're going to move towards what it is that you want. You have to create a clear vision of what you're wanting to move toward. Um, I mean, like any shift requires a, a critical mass. And that might happen, you know, through love, compassion, and but we discuss gratitude instead of, you know, force, brutal force, or any physical action. Uh, that might be more appealing to those who, you know, are trying to uh, encroach on our um, rights. 
so we'll see how how that uh, goes yeah i mean ultimately you can have shifts in consciousness in either way so it kind of depends on what the what the consciousness level is of the of the the populace but what's really fascinating is when if you've ever if you've ever read any work by dr david hawkins he was one of my main mentors for a long time and his main book that he wrote was power versus force and he talks about the levels of consciousness and what he found was that it's it's even more important to have even if you had a few people that resonate at a higher level of consciousness that influences the masses so if you take someone like gandhi for example so his scale would be from zero to 100 anything above 200 is beneficial anything below 200 is more detrimental and the level of 200 is that courage and so below that would be things like everything from pride and anger and grief and right down to the bottom being sort of shame guilt fear which are basically very just just low powerful fields so you have you don't have a lot of power to make big changes in your life for example and there's nothing wrong with having those feelings when they surface to help you to bring information to try and help you shift but that should be what they should be there to try and help you move and so the goal would be you know you start to live your life at a level of 200 the level of courage and then you can gradually move to things like acceptance and willingness and and then it all the way up eventually to these higher states of like love and appreciation and joy and so dr hawkins would talk about people like gandhi and mother Teresa, and they would calibrate up in the around 700 and from being at such a high place of consciousness, they impacted millions, right? Yeah. So to me, that's, that's some, somewhat where the whole concept of why it's so important for every individual, and it's through every individual action that we create change in our loved ones and in our community and then ultimately in our world. But it, it's, it's like there's no sense in trying to think, how do I fix the world? It really needs to be, start with how do i how do i really get into alignment myself that's really it that's really all your job really is is keep trying to find ways of getting into alignment and then just live from that place and from that i think is where you get an inspired action on what you want to do with it but our goal is really just that's all our job really is I remember Dr. Hawkins saying, stop trying to fix the world. The world doesn't need you. <laughs> it's, it's more like just focus on, on yourself and, and that's all it is. And sometimes I think we get caught up in trying to fix the world because it's, it's easier to think outside rather than go inside and, and look and do the work that often we need to do. So true. Um, so Jason, we are approaching the end of the interview. Um, how uh, can people uh, get in touch with you? Easiest way is to go to couple of the different websites so if you go to drjasonlokpin.com that's my that's my website where you'll see everything around naturopathic medicine and healthcare and whatnot i have a podcast called the inspire health podcast and that's at www.inspirehealthpodcast.com and then my wife and i also created a platform called adventures in joy and that is adventuresinjoy.org and that's more of our experiential piece, though, where we run workshops or retreats. We run a inner circle that we call it, which ultimately is, is the inner circle idea is that it starts within that first circle within yourself. But one thing that we find is really important, and that we usually find after retreats, is that people have real significant shifts that last for a chunk of time, and then the habit situation of getting back into their life and surrounded by the rest of the world and their families they start to find themselves going back to old patterns again and so we created that as a way of creating community because it's really important to have spiritual community you need to be connected to like-minded people that keep us afloat and i think it was the buddha that even said the next buddha is going to be sangha and sangha in is the word for community. 
So spiritual community is very important. Dr. Hawkins used to talk about that too, the importance of spiritual community. So we created that as a way of meeting with our tribe every month and having conversations around different things. We usually offer different movement and meditation classes along those lines too. But I think the real gem of it is being able to reconnect with people and have conversations about things or have exercises that we might do or just sit down and feel questions. Listen, thank you very much for all your uh, positive thinking and all your initiatives, which uh, will bring the good vibration in the world. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Until next time, everyone, love and gratitude.